This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. If you could keep that passage open in front of you, that would be uh, amazing. We're going to pray just before we get started in this, the third in our series on Truly Blessed. Uh, you can pick up the other two. We now have a podcast option. If you go to our website, you can sign up to both versions, both uh, uh, both your Samsung, your Android and your iTunes one, and you can certainly just listen to it on the website as well. Let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives for the glory of your great name. Amen. So this is the third in our series entitled Truly Blessed. In the first week, we heard that to be truly blessed, we are truly blessed when our hunger is for God's kingdom. That's truly blessed living. In the second, we heard that everything we have, we have on loan from God to do what he wants done in the world. That's truly blessed investing. Today, I want to talk about truly blessed giving. Now, I know that some of you here are dads or have dads, or are granddads, and last week was Father's Day, exactly. I hope you had lots of dad jokes and it was all fun. If you're a dad on Father's Day, you may have received a piece of pasta art from your four-year-old, which is, if you don't know what pasta art is, it's a few pieces of macaroni stuck to a white piece of paper with too much glue. And I said this at 8 o'clock, and actually my own preschool teacher was in the congregation. She said, I taught you how to do pasta art back in 1973. That's a true story. And you see, you get this piece of pasta art, and you don't say, oh, come on. This just doesn't look like what you say it looks. It looks nothing like me. You know, I really don't look like that. It really is not very good. You're actually moved to the core, aren't you? Because your four-year-old was extending love to you. And so you probably put it in a pride of place, in your office or in your home. Now, I've got an example of this sort of art right here. It's not pasta art, but it is a piece of art given to me by one of my children uh, when she was much younger, which gives you a little bit of a clue about which one it was. And it's a tree, but she didn't draw the tree. The teacher drew the tree, or it was a stencil of a tree. And then she's put um, fingerprints um, in different colours, and that's the fruit and the leaves of the tree. It's genius, isn't it? Artistic, thank you. It's, it's artistic genius, right? No, it's not, to be honest. But I've put it in a frame, right? I, I've put it in a frame. It... To me, it's as precious as anything I could get from a Sotheby's auction. I couldn't purchase it if I sold all that I had. Which tells us something about gifts, doesn't it? We give not because we want something in return. We give because we want someone. When you give, you give something freely, with nothing required on the other side. But when you give, you're actually extending love and seeking love. And that's how, that's how our Father, our Heavenly Father, our God above gives to us. He gives to us because He wants us. He wants us to know Him and to know His heart. And He wants us to be known by Him. When God gives, 
You get God. And God gets you. And because we long for him and to know him, we in turn become like him. We become those who give. See, at the heart of Christian giving is God's grace, his free gift of himself in his son to us. And that's totally the key thing. This is not a piece of trade. This is not an exchange. It's all about God and his giving of himself to us. And so Christian giving is actually, as Paul will tell us, a deeply spiritual exercise. It begins by you and I reflecting prayerfully and personally on how much we've been given in Christ in material and non-material ways, how blessed we are. We aren't paying off God so he will not bother us too much or to gain a slice of his approval. We are just responding to the grace of God for us in Jesus Christ, like children making pasta art for Father's Day. Now, you know, our temptation in life, isn't it, is to use money as a substitute for things. We pay to avoid complications. You get an Uber because you can't be bothered walking. You pay someone to clean your house or do your taxes or mow your lawn because doing that just gets an unpleasant task done and you don't have to think about it. And while I hope you are polite to the people who do these tasks, we pay them not to be in our lives, don't we? We re- Look, no offence to the guy who cleans my house, but I really don't want him to go out for a coffee with me. I, I'm really not looking for him to go for a drink down the pub. That, that's not what I'm paying him for. If we're paying, however, our dues to church, if it, that's what it feels like, then we will feel the same. We will, see, we will feel as if we're paying, we're paying God off so that we don't have to be involved. And sometimes churches, I have to say, with apologies, have given the impression that this is how it works. You know, we could charge for membership. That's what other clubs do and even other faiths. Or we could charge pew rents. And so, in fact, St. Mark's, only a few decades ago, we used to charge pew rents, uh, which meant that uh, you, if you're really spiritual, you got these holy seats at the front. You know, you paid a high rent for those. So good on you, the Choi family, very, very holy today, and Erica and Christine, very fantastic. Uh, we charge more to be closer to the front. Those are the holy seats. And uh, that was only given away perhaps in the 1960s. My dad was just telling me last week that in the late 1950s, the Anglican Church in Sydney, imported an American fundraising technique which involved the wardens and the rector dropping in to everyone in the parish who said that they were Church of England, which is the old name for Anglican, right? Which is a lot of people. In those days, it was practically half the people. Whether they went to church or not, with an envelope and saying, look, I know we've never met before and I, you've never come to church. In fact, don't come because if you came, it would be too complicated. But here's an envelope for you to make a contribution to church. How much are you going to give? Now, both sets of my grandparents who lived in the eastern suburbs were visited by their local church. Never met them before. And both my grandpas were angry about it. Can you imagine? The church had never contacted them before about anything. And here they were, having the nerve to front up and ask for cash. It certainly made the impression that membership of Jesus' church 
is for sale. It made coming to church just like yet another consumer transaction. There's an old spiritual song that the slaves used to sing called All My Trials, and it contains the line, If religion was a thing that money could buy, the rich would live and the poor would die. What a perverse idea this is. That we can buy God off. And if we've got more money, we kind of get better seats in his kingdom. Because Christian giving is completely the reverse. Now in 2 Corinthians verses chapters 8 and 9, Paul is explaining all of this to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were a pretty messy old church, and we're getting back to the first letter that he wrote to them next week. He's trying to get the Christians in Corinth to help out the Christians in Jerusalem who are doing it tough. And he's trying to, how does he try to persuade them? He reminds them that God himself is a giver. And what does God give? God gives his son, which means that God gives himself. He says this in chapter 8, verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus did not cling to the riches of heaven, the splendor of the heavenly throne room, but rather came to earth and lived as not a particularly wealthy human being. He lived for many years, hand to mouth. No one commented on his lavish lifestyle or his Gulfstream jet. He went around on foot. It cost him to love you. He went willingly to the cross, giving up all he had for you. When we see that he gives himself for us in our salvation, then we understand what his deep desire for us is like. And when we know what he gives for us, how much he sacrifices for us, we begin to share his heart. And that's why Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't just mean someone is taken the happy gas, having a giggle while they give. He means someone who is cheerful because they understand what they've been given in Christ, in Jesus, how much they have, how much they've been released from. It's not that we have to force ourselves to like it, says Paul, to grin and bear it. It's that Christian giving begins with knowing the generous heart of God. God longs for us so much that it costs him something to give it. He gives to us sacrificially. So then, here's four principles for Christian giving. Firstly, Christian giving is not a price to pay. It's a free choice based on your ability to give. Paul is quite clear about this with the Corinthians. He says, each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. As I said, Christian giving is actually a spiritual exercise. That's what he means here. We've got to first go away and on our own reflect on how much we've been given in Christ, in material and non-material ways, and then ask, what can I give? And that's going to be different from person to person, from time to time. 
That's going to differ. We don't force people to give in church and we don't make a public show of it. And if we did that, we'd be denying the gospel of God's free grace. We don't put a dollar amount on it. What is a huge amount for someone might be a tiny percentage for another. Now, Jesus taught this, of course, you remember, the time that he saw in the temple a widow, a poor widow, putting in two coins into the temple coffers, numerically less than what many people gave by many, many multiples, but in reality far more. Now at St Mark's, we try and make this something that you have a chance to reflect on by offering direct debit giving. And I think, I find personally, it's a great way to be more deliberate about your giving. It allows you to make a considered, private, on-your-own decision that's between you and God. And I have to say, personally, it makes me enjoy it more because it comes without the effort of going to get cash and having that on, etc. And that relates to the second point as well. The second point is, Christian giving is between you and God. It's between you and God. It's not between you and me and God. It's not between you and the parish council and God. It's not between some warden who's going to knock on your door and God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes this very clear. That was the first reading we had. He says that when we make our gifts with big fanfare in front of everyone, then we have our reward. I mean, he imagines a scene where people actually kind of have a trumpet playing before they make their contribution. I mean, my son's a trumpet player. Maybe I should carry him. He should come with me whenever I'm going to make a donation anywhere, and he can blow a trumpet so everyone notices. Michael's about to give now. Everyone, look how good he is. Right? We see that with, you know, corporate sponsorship. That's what it's about, isn't it? And Jesus says, look, if that's what you do, then you get your reward, don't you? Everyone thinks you're amazing, fantastic, good for you. But when you give in church, you do it anonymously. A friend of mine puts it this way, secrecy safeguards sincerity. Secrecy safeguards sincerity. We don't here announce who gives and how much. There's not a sort of league table of giving or a board on which we can kind of put, you know, star givers, you know, less good givers, not very good givers. You don't do anything like that. What's at, what at all? At, at all. I certainly don't check what goes into our bank account through direct debit. Now, a temptation would be if we did it that way. It would be think about it. We would value the gift that was of greater dollar value, wouldn't we? And we would then start to think the person who gave a greater dollar amount was more spiritual. And we would value them more. And of course it would be tempting for us to be giving to get the applause of other people rather than to give out a response to God's grace. So give, giving is between you and God. Thirdly, Christian giving is to support the ministry you receive. Now, the New Testament is perfectly clear on this. Ministers are not to profit from the ministry, nor are they to be greedy. And I have to say again, to the shame of people in my, in my guild, in my profession, there have been ministers in the history of the world and indeed now who have profit excess, profited excessively from their teaching, from their position as ministers. And it's sickening. It's actually sickening to see it. It's very interesting. The New Testament is very strong 
against people who use their position as a minister, as a religious teacher, a spiritual guide, to profit. It's really explicit that that is something that is not Christian whatsoever. And I would hope that if I ever became a person who was a greedy person or a lover of much money, the parish council and wardens and anyone else here would speak up would speak up and say, this isn't, this isn't right. In fact, one of the qualifications for being a minister in the church is that you're not a lover of money. But it's also the case that we are responsible to pay for the ministry we receive from those who have been set aside to do that work. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul uses a rather unflattering analogy from the Old Testament. There's a law in the Old Testament which says, don't muzzle the ox as it treads out the grain. You know, you've got the, the ox kind of doing the wheel, uh, getting the wheel to grind the grain, and what you do is you make sure the, the ox can eat some of the grain as it goes around. So basically he's saying that ministers are oxes. It's comparing us to cows, and I'm a little offended by that, but I'll get over it. But what he's trying to say is that it's not wrong to pay ministers, not so that they become wealthy, or profit from their task, but so that they survive, so that they can be set aside to do their work without the worries of doing secular work. But the ministry we receive, of course, includes more than what ministers do. It includes the whole organisation, the building, the administration, and our giving to other organisations, and more. Now, this principle is why we don't ask visitors to give. And if you're a visitor here today, I hope that you're receiving this message loud and clear. We don't ask visitors to give, and we certainly shouldn't have a strategy where we rely on visitors to our church to support our ministry. Supporting the ministry at St. Mark's is something for members. I don't give myself when I visit another church because I give at my own church, because I'm a member here. So that's the third point. Christian giving is to support the ministry we receive. The fourth one is that Christian giving is to support the spread of the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ as a first priority. What do we give for? We give so that God extends his kingdom in the world. We give to see the work of God done. When we consider the, the needs of the world, we need to, need to consider the spiritual needs of the world as a priority over the physical needs. Let me put it this way. What do people really, really most deeply need? They need not bread alone, but the word of God. And what is more, the gospel of Jesus Christ will transform communities and societies so that they start to meet their own material needs. What people need, individuals and societies, is a changed heart. And the gospel of Jesus Christ gives that to them. Now, this actually works. And an extensive study in the United States found, just came out last year, 2017, that people with a religious affiliation were twice as generous as those without one. And those who attend services more regularly were more likely to give of course, churchgoers were most likely to give to churches and to other church-like institutions and uh, charities, but they also were more likely than their neighbours to give to non-religious charities. They're not just generous because they give to church groups, they also give to secular work as well, to support the poor. The author of the study wrote this, he said, overall, religious Americans volunteer more, 
Give more and give more often, not only to religious but secular causes as well. And I'm sure this is true in Australia as well. You see, the grace of God works to change hearts. It's a dangerous thing to understand the grace of God because you might find yourself becoming more generous. When you understand yourself as truly blessed and everything you have is a gift from God to use for his purposes in the world, it changes how you think about everything. Wouldn't it be amazing to have more people in Australia with hearts like that. So the evidence is in. If you want a generous, a more generous and caring society, you want more people to come to know Jesus. If you are concerned that our society is losing its way, then the preaching of the gospel of free forgiveness in Jesus Christ, the message of God's gracious beating heart for human people, for human beings, should have the first call on your attention, on your time, your treasure and your talents. And that means too, if you attend a local church and it's not on about sharing Jesus, don't give to it. Or at least urge the minister and the leadership of the church to be on about sharing Jesus Christ with our neighbours. At St Mark's, we are amazingly blessed by the generosity of our current membership. We've been able to grow through the support uh, that people here have shown. And we're also blessed by the vision of those from previous generations who have given sacrificially so that we can still be preaching Jesus today. Over the years, for example, we've been given three houses to use in various times. That's an amazing legacy that people have left, and only part of it. What are we going to leave the next generation? Will we leave them with a debt or will we leave them with a legacy of a thriving church community committed to Jesus Christ, full of hearts, full of grace? So to sum up, firstly, Christian giving is not a price to pay. It's not a transaction. It's a free choice based on your ability to give. Secondly, giving is between you and God. No one else. Thirdly, Christian giving is to support the ministry that you receive. And fourthly, Christian giving is to support the spread of the extraordinary news of the blessing we receive in Christ Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, as a first priority. Amen. Thanks for listening please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.